Hi, we're Shannon and Jerry Arner. And our dog, Betty White. Your hosts of the Arner Adventures podcast. Could we have named it something more creative? Probably. But it's the name of our blog. It's our last name. We're on an adventure. Yada, yada, yada. After running our own business, working 24-7. And don't forget a mental breakdown in between. We made a lifestyle change and decided to make the most out of life. We sold our house, most of our belongings, downsized, and moved to the coast. We live life minimally, but fully. We live each day as an adventure. This show will help you learn how to live life more fully, with more intention, by experiencing more, and with less stuff. We'll talk about our own experiences, interview others who have much to share by creating a spark in our lives. Some days we'll share real life ongoings of what we're going through and others will talk about our favorite flavor of waffle. Come join our adventure. It's It's the the Arner Adventures Adventures Podcast. Podcast. Hello everyone, I'm Shannon. And I'm Jerry. Betty White is here, of course, and we are back for episode 43 of the Arner Adventures podcast. Today we have a Spark in Our Lives episode with someone who is not only one of the most talented jazz musicians ever, but he is doing really special things philanthropically, and it's just a really great storyteller. He really is a great storyteller, so I can't wait to get to it, but first, let's get to our review of the week. Today's review comes from Bert Listing 412. Bert says, These episodes get better and better. I love hearing the inspiring stories each week, and I'm relieved that there is so much goodness in the world. Keep it up, Arners. Oh, wow, Bert. Thank you so much. Bert. I've never in my whole life met a Bert. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, I've known a, well, Bert with an E, though, I think, B E R T. Okay. Instead of B. Well, I've never known either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Burton Ernie, but I've never met Burton Burton Ernie from yeah. Burton Ernie. Oh, you never met Burton Ernie? <laughs> no. Oh, me neither. You, oh. Yeah. No, I okay. never met them either. Well, but, uh, Bert, I tell you, that was just wonderful. Yeah. That was like so to, wonderful. Yeah. We like to think the episodes get better and better too. So it's nice to hear that from somebody. Yeah. No doubt. And if you all would like to be our review of the week, get a shout out. And of course, get a chance to win a sugar wish. Please head over to lovethepodcast.com slash honor adventures and give us a review or rating. It's a spark in our lives, much like today's guest. Yes, today's guest is Rick Delarada. Rick is an American jazz singer and pianist. He came to us from his New York City apartment in the heart of Hell's Kitchen, right up from Restaurant Row. Lucky him that he lives so close to Restaurant Row. That's like our fave in New York now. Oh, certainly. Mm -hmm. Uh But he has really great stories to tell. If we had hours and hours, this would have been a much longer podcast episode. Oh my gosh, yeah. It was such a great conversation. Yeah, are you ready to get to the chat with Rick? I am ready. Let's go. Let's do it. Well, we are honored to have today's guest on the podcast. That's an understatement. Rick Delarada is with us today. He is considered to be one of the finest singers, pianists performing today, and one of only a handful of jazz artists who can make a successful musical presentation to a large audience without having to abandon the true art form of jazz. Rick Delarada is considered to be an innovator, a visionary through his lifelong endeavor to help advance people to their highest potential through the understanding of jazz, as well as spreading peace worldwide through his Jazz for Peace world tour. And we can't wait to talk about that. What intrigued us most was reading how Rick drove his car to New Jersey, took off the license plates and walked away from it, leading him on a journey to be able to focus his time, energy and resources to helping 850, I think probably more than that now, of the world's most outstanding causes through his now acclaimed benefit concert series. Rick, 
thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. We are just ecstatic. Oh, I mean, yeah. I don't even think we can express how ecstatic we are. You sort of encompass so much about our life. We love, you know, our journey to, you know, living a more downsized life so we can focus on our passion and then, you know, and the music. Well, and the music. Yeah. And my mind will constantly go there because I'm just such a music fan, you know, and but all the other stuff first will be great to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to get into, you know, so much, but I would love if we, since we just brought up the like, you know, leaving your car and all that, I mean, did you actually leave your car? I'm just so glad because I don't get, you know, and this is cool because like, it's not every day that I get to tell this story, you know, Okay. <laughs> it's a great story because I talked to people even today, even recently, I remember talking to someone and I was saying, you know, you've been a part of the workforce for so many years. The person was kind of like, you know, a little bit stressed out needing to work and do all these things. And I, and I was thinking, you know, you've been a part of the workforce for so long, blah, blah, blah. And when I was saying, what is it that you need to, you know, to put in all these hours for? And she was mentioning her car because she chooses to have a car was one of the things she mentioned, which yeah. rem which brought me back to that memory. And basically what happened with me is I went to school in Boston and I had a car. And of course, you know, everyone gets a car. You know, I lived in upstate New York and that kind of thing. I don't know. It's just part of what happens, you know. Yep. Car, car, yep. Car. So and I always was a little bit in the back of my mind suspicious about the car thing anyway, which is a whole nother story. You know, that's another thing with, you know, with the, the public, the dismantling of public transportation. I don't know if you, oh, you know, but right. okay, we'll, we'll talk about it, but just, yeah. to get, and that's an amazing story. But anyway, so now living in Boston and I have a car because Boston has all of these amazing suburbs that you can play gigs in and I was car, blah, 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 blah. Then I ended up coming to New York because kind of, it was kind of a rite of passage back then. It may still even be, but back then it was, you get your act together somewhere else. You know what I mean? Right. You kind of, you know, pee and everything somewhere else. Uh -huh. And then once you're ready, you come to New York with, you know, some skills, hopefully to survive okay. Right. Okay. in the arts as a musician. So, you know, I studied under the conservatory, got all that. Then I ended up coming to New York in a kind of a strange story where I was visiting. I bounced into the bump, you know, walked into some people on the street who I knew from Boston. They had a band, they needed someone to play keyboards and they wanted to feature someone's original music, which was, you know, just one thing led to another. So I come here and I have a car because, you know, I had a car. So what am I going to do? I have a car and I'm here and I found myself a doing a lot of reverse commuting. So because I had a car, I was getting, but I was here to play in New York, really. You know, I wanted to play in New York. That's why I was in New York, but I'm getting called to play you know, kind of in Boston, not really all the way back in Boston, but you know what I mean? I'm going yeah. that way. I just came this way, but I'm getting called to go back. I'm driving that way, you know, I'm driving this way. I'm driving that way. So I'm reverse commuting into New Jersey. I even had a six night a week steady gig at a place called the Palisadium overlooking New York, but it was in New Jersey. Those are all fine. I was doing it. But after a while, I was like, this is kind of crazy. I'm living here and working there. Instead of living there and working here, I'm living here and working there. You know, I'm going right. to, you know, I don't know all these names of, you know, all these names of little towns in Long Island and New Jersey and, you know, Connecticut, you know, Mystic, Connecticut, whatever, all these different places. Yeah, we and know that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of doing that. And then what happened was I got a call from the Platters. They're like a famous band from the 1900s. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And they wanted me to do something. I'll play with them on some boats, you know, on, on these cruise ships, you know. And it was oh. kind of, yeah, it was kind of cushy. We were in like the star cabin. It was like flew me down to Miami, picked me up a limousine. And I'm like, they said, your ride is here. Ooh. I'm like, that's not my, I just see a limousine. I don't see a little, <laughs> little you know what I mean? Or a little, a little guy in a station wagon. What are you talking about? Right. Don't that's your ride. You know, I didn't even like, how did they even know I, you know, it's going to work out and all by myself in a stretch limousine, you know, I don't know if it was a cruise ship or the who sent this thing, but anyway, <laughs> it was kind of like that. It was very cushy, you know, on this, on yeah. this thing. We do I'm, very little playing, lots of, you know, 
they wanted us to, all of my gigs have a crazy story associated with them. But in this one, since I tell you I'm enjoying it, they wanted us, really wanted us to hang out with the people on the ship. You know, oh. making their, they're getting more bang for their buck if they were hanging oh. out with the ladders. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we had signing privileges. They were like, yeah, if you want to, if you're with a bunch of people and they come up, you want to sign for a round of drinks for everybody or you want to sign for, just sign, you know, sign stuff. Wow. It was very strange. So, Anyway, I was having my fun, but to go on that, I had to do something with my car because the other problem is one, you're reverse commuting, two, you're being targeted because you have a car. You know what I mean? Right, they right. want to slap tickets on it, they want to tow it, they want to yeah. vandalize it. Yeah. You know what I mean? People are coming at you from five different directions only because you have a car. Right. They're payments. So you're you're commuting somewhere that you might not even want to play with a gig that you might not even want to do and taking that money to pay for the car that drove you there. Right. So yeah. it's a wash. You know what I mean? Right. Uh -huh. right. Zero, you know? Yeah. You're on a hamster wheel, basically, right? 100%. So we have heard this story before. <laughs> yeah, we, we've talked to someone else who had a similar yeah. journey, and he said the same thing. Yeah. We all work for a car. Then we... You know why can't you get rid of your car? Well, I need my car, and then it's taking to my car. Yep. Yeah, you need yeah. your car to go here to pay for the car. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So all of this stuff, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna work in New York when I come back, or bust. You know what I mean? So right. I took my car, and and there's no way I there's nothing I can do with this car. I can't leave it on the street. It's got to be moved at like six in the morning across the street. Even if you're lucky to find a place to park it, you've got to get up at six o'clock and just to move it across the street. Oh, so it will be in compliance with parking regulations. Oh, they call it alternate side parking, alternate side parking. So you have to get up and move the car. You know what I mean? There's all kinds of weird things. Like that. Sometimes you come home and you have to drive around for 45 minutes to find oh. a place to park. It, oh, you know? no. But I had, you know, so much work where I was driving to work with the car. So I couldn't, you know, but in this deal, this was like a, a separate deal. I'm like, wait a minute now, you know, now I have to do something with the car and I had lived in Jersey City when I first came to New York because it was very sort of Someone had found me an apartment there. They wanted me to play in their band. They said it was a cheap apartment. It kind of was. So I knew there was a, what do they call it? Sold a cap, sold a cap, hold a cap, something like that. It's a French cul-de-sac. Cul-de-sac. There was a cul-de-sac. And I brought the car. I knew I could drive the car there and just put it there. And then I get out and I was like, I think I'm just going to take these license plates off. <laughs> and I just took the plates off and I just walked and I just oh. walked onto the path which is what they call it, the path train back into New York with my license plates just brought them back in and then I went on this thing crazy wild thing with the platters you know in the Caribbean going to all these islands and whatever I get back from that and I don't go to pick up that car I'm in New York, you know, and I want to work in New York. You know what I mean? I don't care what kind of gig it is. If New York, it's like, in other yeah. words, I will, yeah, like I'll play, you know, I was playing, I started playing in subways, in parks, uh -huh. because yeah. there were people that had like permits to do that. And they would find out, you know, oh yeah, that guy, he's got a, I would have a keyboard that had a battery power, you know? Uh -huh. And one of the guys that called me was the brother of a very famous actor, a very famous actor who was in Little Miss Daisy, no, Little Miss Sunshine. He was in a lot of ones. If I told you the guy's name, you would know. I, for some reason or other, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Yeah, mind. and we've seen yeah. Little Miss Sunshine. I yeah, just can't even yeah. remember. Yeah. Old, older guy in Little Miss Sunshine, the kind of older guy, very famous name, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin was- oh, Alan, Alan Arkin. Arkin. Alan, Arkin. Yeah. Alan Arkin's brother. Okay. <laughs> Subway street musician bass player. <laughs> Alan Arkin's brother, real brother. Because I was like, you know, Bob, you know, you got the same name. I keep thinking Alan Arkin, the actor. And he said, that is my brother. Because, you know, wow. granted anybody named Arkin for whatever reason. The only no. Arkin no. you know is Alan Arkin. He said, that is, that's my brother. 
So Alan Arkin's brother was calling me. Hey, you know, I got your name from so-and-so. People would get your name from so-and-so. I got your name from so-and-so, and I got something. I said, where is it? It's in, what's the famous one? Grand Central Station. Wow. Yeah. And see, he was a real pro. He had a permit from the city to do these right. things. You know? yeah. And we would make money because I had a battery-powered keyboard. Now, I got sick of schlepping the keyboard around, so I kind of did the same thing with the keyboard one day. But that's another story. <laughs> you know, that was the only way to get out was just abandon the thing, you know. But yeah. I abandoned the car. Yeah, I got out of Dragon and Battery because they were just, they'll call you. I was, in the, I was in Central Park in the afternoon. I was going here. Another band would play with a generator, and they play, like, funk music, and they blast, and we'd make a ton of money. Yeah. The gig was you played until the cops showed up. Uh-huh. So we I was just here thinking, why would you the generator, you know, and people would crowd around and this guy would, you know, hey, Rick, play a solo. And then he'd go out and collect, you know, really busk all these people. And yeah. I mean, we were making more than we were making at night in the clubs. Wow. Yeah, we made more outdoor with my battery-powered keyboard and some of these bands that I didn't even need a battery power because I had a generator. I mean, we were making more money. It's just that it wasn't really what I signed up for. You know, it's like I went to a concert. I did all this stuff. To be a street musician, is that what I was, you know what I mean? So I was like, yeah. I have to end. It's not going to end if, unless I end it, you know, even though I loved it. I just had to, you know, and it was the same thing with the car. It's like, I have to play in New York, you know. I don't care if it's in a piano bar, a cabaret, if it's a, you know, I don't care what it is. It's just got to be on this it's island. In New York. Yeah, huh? I completely get it's that. It's got to be on this island. Or if I'm going to go somewhere, an airplane has to take me, you know. Right. Or, or if someone is willing to give me a ride, that means that <laughs> they really want me to do it. So it's going to be the kind of thing I want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I mean you, it's like you set your goals. You set your standards for what you were going place to leave. yourself someplace. I was yes. placing myself. You know what I mean? Where yeah. I wanted to be, you know? Yeah. Sort yeah, of manifesting I, what you wanted to happen. And I kind I, of was. I kind mm -hmm. of was. And I'll tell you, when I got rid of that car, what a relief. You know? I was, <laughs> when you said you walked away, I was thinking, I bet you could just feel physically the weight coming off. I could because, you know, sometimes you realize... It's nobody but you that's, you know, you might be getting subliminal messages from multinational car companies that you should have a car. Mm -hmm. You're getting those subliminal messages, you know what I mean? Yep. But yep. it's still you're the one that's in chains here, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. they're like, send, they're sending you messages, you know, be in chains, buy this car, be, you know, sacrifice, <laughs> you know? They're sending message, 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 but you still have to drink the Kool-Aid to do it. 100%, 100%. And you gotta yeah. keep drinking it to keep doing it. You know what I've realized? What's that, Jer? People think that when the temperatures cool down that you don't need to drink as much water. Dehydration can happen any time of year. Drinking water is important year-round. It's easy to stay hydrated with Liquid IV. Absolutely. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier. It's a powder in a packet, so you can take them with you wherever you go. It's an electrolyte mix that you just add to your water. It delivers two to two and a half more hydration than water alone. So many flavors to choose from, too. Grape, tropical punch... Guava, passion fruit, strawberry. Okay, okay. Liquid IV has a ton of flavors. <laughs> there is something for everyone. If you want your water to work harder for you, you should definitely try Liquid IV. And for our listeners, if you go to their website, liquid-iv.com, and use code Arner Adventures, you can save 15% and get free shipping. We'll link it in the show notes too. Liquid IV, fueling life's adventures. Well, and I think it's that way with a lot of stuff i think you know we downsize and we have stuff. minimal life and then all of a sudden i'll say how did we and forget like i cuss like a sailor but i'll say how did we get all this shit around here like where did this shit come from yeah. and we'll realize how did we say yes to this stuff how did right. it get here and then you realize oh it's the whole system it's the yeah. whole the whole system, well, thing 
first of all, it's a debt-based system, so it's all built on debt, okay? So in other words, you've got to have this constant creation of, you know what I mean, debt, and the constant, you have to keep selling the products. That's why we have enough clothes, but we've got to buy more clothes, so they invent that you got to be in style. This is coming out, and you got to get rid of those clothes, you got to buy those clothes. What yeah. We don't care what you do with those clothes. We just care that you buy these new ones. And yeah. You know, and if you don't buy them, we're going to shame you because because it's a system that's run in that. That's the way the system is run, and it has some serious flaws. One of them is very much tied to cars, where you know basically what happened was when cars came out, most people thought it was a how could you say it a kind of a luxury type of extra, you know, just something that you might buy for little Sunday drives, little things like that. It was not neat. No one thought of it as anything you needed at all. The public right. transportation systems were electric powered, you know, clean energy. The cleanest we've ever had were the public transportation before cars came out. And hmm. even places, well, what about LA? LA had the best. LA had the best public transportation in the entire country. As wow. well as some of these other cities are, including New York. LA had the best. Every six minutes, you know, a bus would come with, you know, these electric trolleys that were, you know, in San Francisco, they were clockwork, you know, and they're no, it's not a big deal to maintain. There was incredible. So what happened was the car companies got together and they colluded together and they said, Hey, let's form, because they couldn't do this, but they could form a subsidiary. You know what I mean? They mm -hmm. could form, you know, it's kind of like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like Dasani water is really Coca-Cola, but you don't know that until you look at the back. And the I know. And you, it's it's written on the bottom. Okay. Right, so the car companies own this other company, you know, this other company. And that company, because it wasn't a car company, could now go to the city and try to bribe them out of their public transportation. So they literally bought the public transportation of Los Angeles. They right. bought it. And then they started dismantling it, messing it up on purpose. So instead of six minutes, they just moved it to 12 minutes. Then they kept moving. You know what I mean? And they created a situation where people were like, you know what? I need a car. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm getting a car. Yeah, I'm getting a car. Then they started the roads where they started paving everything, you know, and they started creating because I hate to say it, you don't really need cars. As much as we think we do, we really don't. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, though, once you get in a car and you're driving a car all the time and you're driving your car, you kind of get addicted to your car. You know, you have a relationship with your car. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know people that will drive into the city because their mindset, it's their mindset. They'll drive in and, you know, even, you know, sometimes they get tickets. I mean, they'll take all those chances because it's oh. a mindset. But if they didn't have that mindset in the first place, they wouldn't, you know. So a lot of this stuff is getting rid of it means some people getting less profits. And those people that would get the less profits are other people around their payroll, you know. Right. Senators, congressmen. It all comes down to money. It always yeah. does. You know, it always comes down to, why aren't they doing anything about this? And then you dig and it's the money. Just like My problem with it is what we've paved over to create for cars. Right. That wouldn't have been necessary. You know what I mean? And yeah. what about all of that earth? Because, you know, there's technically, supposedly, there are more things that live under the earth than above the earth. There's mm. more things that live under the earth. What about, isn't that connected to the ecosystem? How yeah. is all of this connected? You know, how do you, you know what I mean? What we pave the daylights out of, so much, you know, what are the yeah. consequences? So, I mean, there's severe consequences to a lot of this stuff. They paved paradise and put up a parking lot, right? right. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. What that's what yeah. That's what did, yeah. So, gosh, that's so interesting. And I love that it sort of led you more on your path of passion. And that's exactly what intrigued us. So talking about, you know, your wonderfully skilled jazz musician, years of experience playing 
tons of concerts and festivals. So how did you first fall in love with jazz? Do you have like a recollection of that moment? And like, what is your relationship with jazz even today? Well, I started really just wanting to improvise, you know, on my own because there was a piano in my house that had been brought on Christmas Eve that I thought Santa Claus brought in. And I figured if Santa brought this, there must have been, because I stayed up late at night trying to catch him. And I did see a pretty fat guy moving a large object. I couldn't let my parents catch me, but that's what I saw. And I was like, that must have been him. I saw it. It's done. You know, he is real. I did see him. So, yeah. yeah. So I was playing it on my own and I really just wanted to do it on my own. But then somehow I got caught. Someone ratted me out probably to my mother and said, you know, your son there is constantly playing the piano when nobody's around and, you know, sneaking up there and doing that. So I started taking lessons which was classical music, which was, again, not what I really, you know, what I'm trying to figure out. You know, I was listening to the songs that kids listen to, the, you know, pop and rock on the radio and all that. Then one thing led to another, but I was getting everything a chance. I kept an open mind. I was like, wow, you know, there's something to this classical music that I can't discard that. You know, I could, just, sure. I could walk away from a car, but I couldn't walk away from the music. So <laughs> right. That's yeah, what I couldn't walk away, but I was like, oh, now that you told me about it, there is something new that I have to <laughs> learn. So a similar thing happened in jazz where I believe I was in a library and I opened a drawer kind of by accident and there were all these jazz records in the drawer. I'm like, what are these Who are these people? I never heard of them and why never I don't know. What is this? And I started taking them out of the library because I'm like, I can't walk away from what I just I opened the drawer and now I can't walk away from it. Maybe I'll figure out it's all a big phony thing and walk away, but until I do, I gotta get to the bottom of this. Next thing right. I know, I'm listening to music that's way over my head, but I'm suffering through because I know it's I can't walk away from it. I can't leave it. It's something, it has substance. There's something very special about it, you know? Really? And then I just kind of continued along. When I was deciding what school to go to, I happened to notice that there was a name stood out, a jazz musician that was teaching at the Millennium Conservatory. I thought, wow, I, I wouldn't mind studying with that person. And I went there choosing piano performance, which only meant classical music to that school. I didn't know. And I went there prepared to play a bunch of different styles for them. And I got accepted as a classical major, but I was able to study with that person as a minor. And then I was able to play gigs in Boston. You know what I mean? So yeah. I was just able to keep going. So as I kept going, again, it was less and less chances of me escaping jazz because yeah. it kept giving me thing. You know, there, there was creativity involved. There was, yeah. you know what I mean? There was improvisation involved. It was a stimulator to my intellect. There was, you know, history involved. There was all these things involved with it that I couldn't get, I couldn't take the plates off of it. Right. Yeah. I couldn't remove the license. Wow. Plate I think that, first of all, I feel like that it sort of just meant that it was pulling you to it, which, you know, you well, can look the other thing I wanted to say about cars that I forgot to say is once I walked away from the cars, I realized that every time I get in a car, I'm lowering a person's carbon footprint. So I'm doing a good thing by getting yeah. in someone's car. Now, I would joke to people because <laughs> I love to ski and I ski in Utah and I take a bus. I ride a bicycle to a ski bus and I take the ski bus to the mountain. But, you know, my friends drive cars and I'm like, hey, you know, if you'd like to lower your carbon footprint, you can see that. <laughs> you know, but it really is true. No, it is. It really is true, right? It I'm is. lowering his carbon footprint and I'm doing him a favor. I'm doing everybody a favor yeah. by getting in someone else's home. We dug, so, we got, yeah, we dug so. into the numbers one time and I don't have them in mm -hmm. front of me, but we dug into the numbers of, you know, how much you reduce your carbon footprint and how much it does, well, financially, but also just to the earth. And that you should almost never get in your car alone. You should almost never. Just it's so, if you look at it and then planes and buses and everything, you, you just want to, I don't know, you know, I was so excited. I left, I was flying. I can't even remember where I was flying back from on, on our last trip, but my mom and I were on the plane and we got on and we were so excited that we were two of maybe 10 people on this whole plane, a giant plane. 
recently where they're paying you to give up your ticket. And we were so excited. And then as we're flying, I'm like, you know, this is really shitty. Like, I feel really <laughs> bad about this. They really should have just almost bumped us until the plane was full. Like, I can't even believe I'm putting that out in the universe and saying that. But mm -hmm. it did make me feel really shitty just thinking about this big plane and mm -hmm. how much it's doing. And there's 10 people on it. Just right. Well, you know, that's the thing. I mean, the whole thing about waste, you know, it's not necessary. Now, as you dig into it, you know, you get into a lot of moving parts when you come to things like, you know, the environment and all that stuff. And that leads us a little bit to Jazz for Peace, because as yeah. I continued with my journey with jazz and music, my musical journey, jazz being a big part of, was helping me develop as a human being as well. You know what right. I mean? Because right. it was stimulating my intellect and it was doing all these things that made me hopefully, you know, a more interesting person or a better person or a more knowledgeable person, these kinds of things. And I started to have these, you know, different thoughts about stuff, you know, but I didn't really realize how stupid I was. You know, now I realize how stupid I am, so I'm a little bit smart. <laughs> yeah, if you right? recognize that. Because before that, you're really dumb. Now I'm just, yeah. probably, I'm just dumb, maybe, because I realize how stupid I am. But if you don't realize how stupid you are, man, you're probably really dumb. Oh, so no. I was in that world, but I was trying. Anyway, I was hanging there. I was, I was keeping an open mind. And what happened with Jazz for Peace is, you know, I got to meet people because I was helping outstanding causes with my music. I got to meet people who really would educate me about who they were and what they were all about. And because of what you're bringing up, I just want to tell you one time I went to a concert in Los Angeles. That poster's over here, but you can't see everything. Yeah, we can see that. There's a poster of it. And it was to save orangutans who are being jeopardized very badly. Mm -hmm. And on the board of that, they kept saying, that better be Jimmy. I said, I've heard of him. He's an actor. But then when I, you know, he came to the concert and he, he knew more about me than I knew about him. He's like, oh, I've been following you. I love your music, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God, I better look up this guy. He was the first actor to have a, I mean, the first anybody that I know to have a zero carbon footprint. And in who was this? In the 70s or 80s. His name is Ed Begley Jr. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed Begley Jr. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, if Ooh. you watch Better Call Saul or something, he's a guest on one of those. Yes, I know. All right. I, I think Spinal Tap. <laughs> was he in Spinal Tap? I thought he had a little role in Spinal Tap. Wasn't he, he, might, wasn't he one of that. the drummers that blew up or something? Or I, I think you're right. Uh, yeah, the drummer did blow up. He has zero cool. carbon footprint? Does he still? He rigged up his house and everybody, you know, when you're a little on the genius side, if you have a genius idea, the first thing that's going to happen is everyone's going to think you're nuts. So yeah. that, make sure that everyone thinks you're nuts or you're not even on the right track. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you don't at least get that far, you better pack it in. Because everyone thought he was nuts. Because like, listen, I'm, I'm concerned about the environment. I want to be a story. I want to be had all these reasons. But people were like, what's he doing? We got electricity. Just plug in. You know, he had something. He rigged it all up. So he had a zero carbon footprint. And for decades, people were like, I don't know about him, but nobody really held it against him, which was good. Like this guy Serpico, who you know, you know, yeah. a lot of, you know what I mean? It's like we attack whistleblowers. Yeah, and you're never gonna get something straightened out if nobody talks about it. Right. Never. Your chances are zero. You know what I mean? So here's these people we need so badly, and we're attacking the living daylights out of them. And if you look at the true story of this guy Serpico, what he went through was ungodly. I think maybe they didn't say everything because they're afraid nobody will want to. Tell on anybody if it's going to be that hard for you. Right. So listen, we're probably not the first to introduce you to the topic of CBD or CBD oil. If you're anything like us, it seems like every time you turn around, you're seeing a neon sign for CBD sold here at your local grocery store in a window as you're driving by or it flashes across your screen in an online ad. Shannon's sister told us about the benefits she was having from a brand she was using, and then we started paying attention to that brand. Spoiler alert, that brand is Danodan. Full transparency, we get about two to three CBD brands reaching out to us every week. 
And it wasn't until we started digging into the research that we learned that CBD isn't always CBD. They're just not all the same. Danadan Hemp Works makes organic hemp flower infusions. They're more than just CBD. Danadan's range of hemp products dissolve easily into any liquid and support your routine by helping you manage daily stress, promote healthy sleep, provide caffeine-free energy, and recover from activity-related stiffness and soreness. They also have CBD hemp flower infusion specifically designed for pets, and Betty White uses it every day. She loves it. We put it on our food. And with Danodan, you'll enjoy all the benefits of legal hemp, not just one or two compounds isolated in a lab. Get 20% off right now with the code ADVENTURE at danodan.com. We'll link it for you in the show notes. That's 20% off right now with the code ADVENTURE at danodan.com. Danodan, more than just CBD. Okay, so with Jazz for Peace, if I'm not mistaken, and I would love for you to tell that story, and you're talking about talking about it and you know getting out in the open, it started after 9-11, right? Right on that morning. Okay. I started with a poem on that morning. Because right. That, so could you tell us that story and how Jazz for Peace came to be? Would you mind sharing that with us? Sure. So the day before that, I was on a photo shoot with a person who was an aspiring, well, she was a photographer. She had a Wall Street gig. You know, a lot of these people have jobs so they can be, that they can pursue their passion, you know? Yeah. She was a photographer who worked on Wall Street, but she really, she loved photography. She traveled in India and take pictures. She was all into her photography. And she was doing what some photographers that are pretty smart do, like Linda McCartney got real famous for doing this. They find people that are not famous, but they recognize them. And they'll say, they'll go up to Bob Dylan when he's just walking around, you know, Tompkins Square Park with his guitar playing in little, you know, hey, can I take some pictures of you and I'll give you copies? And they're like, oh, free photo shoot? Sure. You're going to give me the pictures? Yeah. Oh, I don't have to pay for them? Yeah. And they take pictures. And like when Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix and all these people, my understanding of the story is when they blew up and got famous, the only person that had pictures of them before that was Linda McCartney. Wow. Her name was Linda McGillicuddy or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so she then, her career shot up because she had those photos. And you had to call her, if you were Life Magazine or whatever, to get pictures of those guys when they were just, you know, one of the starving folk singers. Ah, brilliant. (laughs) So this girl was kind of doing that. She was taking pictures of me, which she had, I guess. You know, she was taking taking some pictures of me. So, we, you know, we spent time together and all that stuff. And the next morning, because she didn't know what to do, I get a phone call and I was sleeping and I just get the phone. I'm like, hey, she says, hey, I'm really sorry to bother you. I said, oh, what's up? Something, you know, uh, something happened with the camera, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? Did something yeah. fall in the water? I don't know. She says, <laughs> no, she says, I'm down at my, and she tells me the story of her boss. Her boss's son worked in one of the towers. The son of the boss called him up and said, hey, something hit the other tower. What should I do? Blah, blah, blah. And the father said, you know, son, why don't we just be safe? Why don't you get out? And told the son to just get out of the other building because we don't know what that's going on. That was the last time he saw his son, unfortunately. I didn't know what at the time when she called. I didn't know what when she called. But she said, I just, I don't know where to talk to. I just thought to call you. And I said, really? Because I can see this on the roof. She said, yeah, if you want to go up on the roof. And I was only on the fifth floor walk up and I just was right near the roof. I spoke my roof all the time because I was already up there anyway. Just yeah. on the floor and went up there and boom, I'm less than a quarter of a mile away. And there it is. I mean, I'm seeing insanity, you know, like I'm seeing something you cannot even imagine seeing. No, no, it's not no. unnatural. You know, it's like it's surreal. It's like if I was on acid. Yeah. Like yeah. Two hits of acid. And yeah. Just, you know, just dealt with whatever I ended up seeing. That's what it was like. I cannot imagine. I'm actually, and having not been there, I'm surprised that you didn't hear it. No. Like, 
Well, uh-huh. I'll be honest with you. You hear stuff if you reacted to everything you heard in New York City. In New York. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I hear, you know, this sometimes it sounds to me like 20 people got shot and it's just a, you know, it could be some motorcycle. Yeah. yeah. There's motorcycles, yeah. there's sirens, there's a million things. And no, yeah, I didn't hear anything. Well, first of all, I was sleeping. Sure. And I'm in an apartment that's, I'm trying not to get sound in. You know what I mean? Right. Actually, I would take, I have done this. I would take soundproofing from recording studios because I learned this from being in so many recording studios. I'm mm-hmm. like, can I get some of that? Call, you know, call the sound guy, the sound company. I would call the sound company and they sell me stuff for as if it was a recording studio. I just pretend, yeah, I'm opening a recording studio. Okay, well, because I'd give me a price on it. And I put it in my apartment to stop <laughs> the stuff coming in. To stop <laughs> it. What do I, what do I need? Uh, some, some loud taxi, you know, a taxi banging on his horn for like five, you know, 12 yeah. seconds. And yeah. then screaming insults at some other guy on a bicycle. Well, yeah, and on the fifth floor, on the fifth floor, you would hear it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you so, didn't believe me. Yeah. Did you, you immediately? Did you immediately say, "I need to write these thoughts down"? Or well, what was I that was next? like, "What am I going to do?" And words were coming out of me. I couldn't think of anything to do, but there were words coming out of me. I was just words were coming out. Was, you know, it was like I was giving birth to words. Yeah. It was like just you know. I was, yeah, I was like, what do they call it when your water, what do they call it? You lose your water or something? You're, my water was breaking. Your water I was breaking, yeah. Water was yeah. Huh. And, and you wrote it there on the roof. I wrote the words down and it turned out to be a poem. But at that time, but see, it had been welling up because I've been traveling all over the world and I'm looking at these oxymorons without any oxy. You know what I mean? Yeah. All these little things that we were talking about with like, why don't we just, why don't we put one of these artists up to places in every city? Yeah. Why don't we? I don't know why we don't. It's an oxymoron, yeah. but without any oxy. Yep. I guess yep. all the oxy is being taken by these addicts. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so we can't. We, there's yeah. no look for that on the word anymore. I made that thing up, the oxymoron, because I just thought it was funny, and I can't. No, it is. Can't say it is. So point. So what happens is, um, I actually done stand up comedy, by the way. So you did. We need to chuck something better as we go along. Who knows? So anyway, yeah. So this comes out, and and it had been. I had had, like I said, all these oxymorons anyway, where I was like, you know, music really transcends. These are problems that people are having because of language. Music transcends that. Here's problems that they're having over in Palestine, Israel, because of religion. Music transcends it. Here's problems that they're having because of race, because of creed, because of color, because of music transcends all of them, you know? And then I noticed this art form of jazz that I'm speaking is spoken everywhere in the world. You can find little people speaking it, you know? This is long after 9-11, but I remember one time I was in Haiti and, you know, I'm like, I'm just going to go over there. These people confirm their event. I'm just going to show up, you know? So now I'm in a big truck in Haiti with all these Haitians. And they're just all on for the ride. They're driving me. Sorry to have so many crazy stories. They're driving me to um, the studios that are either radio or television studios. And they're bringing me in. They say, sit over there. And they go and they talk to the guy. And they bring somebody out and they point over to me. And then the guy goes, okay. And he blah, blah, blah. I said, what is it you're doing? He said, these people didn't believe that you were going to come here. They said, they're not going to schedule your interview until they see you in the flesh. Wow. So the next day I had a whole bunch of interviews. You can see some of them, a couple of them are online. Yeah. Yeah, Haitian TV. But anyway, I'm on that truck now, and one of the guys says to me, you know, Rick, while you're here, you know, we want you to, what do you need? Do you need anything while you're here? I said, sir, I need a band. (laughs) A band? I said, yeah, this concert is tomorrow, right? They said, yeah, it's tomorrow. (laughs) I need a band. I don't have anything. I'm just me. So what are we going to do? So I said, listen, we know musicians. We know musicians. Yeah, but we're going to find a musician that knows the music, speaks music. They said, I don't know. We're going to call it. So they're calling people now. So while they're driving me, I'm getting a phone handed back to me from the truck. 
hey, talk to this guy. I said, listen, let me talk to, if you got somebody, I got to talk to him because if he doesn't read music, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you're not going to be able to put this to, you know, if he doesn't read music, I could hang out with him for a month maybe and we could do the concert in, you know, <laughs> August. You know what I mean? So, you know, you got to get it. Does he play jazz? What kind of music does he play? If he plays Haitian music, you know, on one of those, no, that might be able to, she might be able to, you know what I mean? So right. I'd say, he plays, okay, who's your favorite saxophone player? Who's your favorite? One guy, and I said, what do you play? He says, I play guitar. I said, who's your play? I thought, I said, ask him, who's his favorite guitar player? They would ask him and tell me. And they say, they even hard to say them, oh, Wes Montgomery, give me that phone. <laughs> Did you say Wes Montgomery is your favorite? Whoa, I already know he can play. I already know, I know everything about him just from that. You know what I mean? Right. I know what he's studying. I know everything about the man. I said, yeah. listen. I got a concert tomorrow. Can you work something out with these people? And then, you know, I said, do you know other musicians? You know what I mean? So basically, yeah. we went from the studios to his house. And all the musicians for the band were there. And they were already rehearsing my music or listening to my CDs. Or oh, wow. You know, yeah. And I just showed up at my own rehearsal with the band, helped them through the songs we need, you know, enough tunes to cover the gig. And we were all set. Wow. So you, okay. So you had sort of all that you had just come back from that then. Is that no, what you no, just no. Come back this is a, just a story I was telling you. Oh, how music is spoken. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That was my point. This is way beyond. This was, in okay, 19, okay. This was in the 1990s that I was learning this by because 2011. When I, that, when I went to Haiti, shockingly ended up in Haiti, you know, I mean, that's like, you know, that's rare that they, they would bring me to, you know, they would do that. But anyway, I'm thinking your I'm thinking your travels and all the places you had been must have, and the things you had seen must have also inspired. And then what you're seeing on that day on 9/11, and you're just thinking, yes, what can oh, I, I do? Knew, I knew that it was a universal language, yes, a gift for all mankind. Things I wrote in the poem, which I'm going to recite to you in a little bit when we do that. Uh -huh. You know, so what happened was, you know, I realized all this anyway. Now this 9/11 things, and now 9/11 is confirming to me that, you know, everything I have been told is not. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. the things I've been thinking are more true than the things I'm being told. You know what right. I mean? Because I'm thinking all of this stuff, but I'm not being told that. I'm being told, you know, buy more toothpaste or whatever. You know? Yeah. I'm being mm -hmm. told other things. But yeah. I'm thinking these thoughts. I'm saying maybe I should do something about the thoughts I'm thinking. Maybe I should honor the things I've been learning and the things I've been thinking and the things I've been seeing firsthand about how music can do so much good to offset all of this bad. Right. You see right. What I mean? And yeah. now... I got another problem because I got this poem I wrote. And what am I going to do with these words? Well, yeah. the only thing I could do was try and live up to them. Right. Would you mind reciting it for us now? Well, yeah. And it was, was going to be musical. Is that okay? Yeah, that would oh, be great. great. We would love it. This is a little it. musical thing. It starts out with the Jazz for Peace poem that I'm going to kind of do over a company of music. That's a segue into something called Free J.A. Free J.A. And that's kind of a little, it's going to be, I'm going to make it up as I go along. I make it up on every podcast so that different podcasts can hopefully find out about each other. People that visit other podcasts. Yeah. Or what I did on this one or that one, if I can get them interested that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, free J.A. That's kind of another thing about whistleblowers. That's kind of my way of saying, hey, wait a minute. You cannot silence whistleblowers, especially ones who are reporting about civilians being bombed during wartime. Because if you do that, then we're going to have civilians bombed and no one reporting about it. That's going to be a carte blanche for everyone to be at risk. So right. anyway, I'm going to segue into that. And then I'm going to go into an actual jazz standard from the old 1940s. That was sung by Frank Sinatra. It's called okay. Okay, cool. So it'll be a little, I'll cross a few different styles. Okay, okay. perfect. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Five your jazz for peace. Coming through the trees. And in my heart it fills me. Like a celebration. I see the light. And I want to follow. Thank you. 
Wow. <laughs> Wow. Thank you. Yes, that was Thank so you. beautiful. I feel so fortunate that we were just treated to that. I feel really special. I felt like I was whisked away into a little cafe in New Orleans or something. You Yeah. know, for a minute there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. That was Very beautiful. nice. Very nice. You know, when you are playing even in your own apartment in New York, do you still feel that passion that you did in the beginning? Like, do you still feel that every time? You know, what I do now is I sometimes will use the piano as a meditational tool. So I can kind of just sit at the piano and kind of just kind of meditate a little bit like that. Just, you know, I'll be playing. Yeah. I'll just be doing, and, you know, I'll go into kind of a little bit of a, I don't know what you call it, a trance. I don't know, a little bit of a, yeah. a, little bit of a zone, a little bit of a meditational type of zone. Yeah. So that's kind of therapeutic to do. But yeah. as far as I think what you're talking about is, learning forget about it it never ends because again it's it goes back to that thing of the more you know the more it opens up new doors for other possibilities oh totally totally i feel i'm not musically talented at all jerry plays a little bit of guitar but i feel that when i listen to jazz like i work from home and so i'll put the jazz there's like a big band jazz station on or whatever and i'll put it on and just kind of have it in the background and i feel that way i feel like it sort of helps me get into a zone and I don't know. It just, and then we will listen to it at night and it just, it's a, just a different kind of feeling, I think, than any other type of music. Yeah. Oh yeah. I would say so. And I think too, when you're actually playing it, it really ups the, something about producing it on your own and listening to it, then mm -hmm. it really gets a little meditative. I think. It does. And I'll tell you something else that's interesting for you that you should know. When you play something live, one of the reasons it's always different if you're truly improvising is because of things like the people that happen to be in the room. Yeah. Sharing it with. That yeah. plays into it somehow. You know what I mean? Even, you know, the vibe of that day or, you know, just things of that moment. There's something, you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, I could play the same arrangement for somebody else and their vibe com combined with other issues surrounding that, you know, would just, it would come through me in a different way. We wanted to take a pause for a second to tell you once again about how much we love Sugar Wish. If you're a regular listener, Sugar Wish isn't new to you. You already know how much we adore the fact that we count on Sugar Wish to send gifts to people. Why? Because it's easy. Yes. It's a time saver. Yes. You know the recipient is going to love it because they choose what they want. That's right. And it's not a gift that's going to take up space because it's edible. Yes. What's not to love? You forgot something. What's that? You save money because we have a code to share with our listeners. Oh my gosh, that's right. Use code Betty White. That's all caps, one word, Betty White, to save $7 off your gift to someone. We also have the link in the show notes. Yep. Whether you're gifting someone candy, snacks, tea, coffee, wine, or some dog treats to one lucky pup, that code works to save. Sugar Wish always saves the day. Is it the same with the venue? Like, you know, I think I always think of how special, you know, when we go to New Orleans Preservation Hall, of course, mm -hmm. and you just think, I can't imagine like being a musician and then playing there. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, if I was to play in preservation hall, there would be something, yeah, you a know, different the, feeling. The, the hall and the people in it and the mm -hmm. city itself, et cetera. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine in New York, I think it would always be special right there in your apartment. I think it's special in New York. You know, it's special. Every, yeah. It's special everywhere. But yeah. what makes it, I think unique are sometimes the actual people that I have to be playing for at that moment. Yeah. yeah. Is, you know, you were part of the performance in a weird way because oh. I was, you know what I mean? I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Jazz for Peace, 
and now hearing that rendition at the beginning and hearing the words and I was sort of picturing you that day thinking oh, about it, and I was like oh and I was getting chills just thinking about it you know now and I always think when people do amazing things like you've done there's so many but like Jazz for Peace and you Jazz for Peace now the organization gives away grants and right. is 850 still the number well you know what it is is basically we just leave it at that i mean we could easily say over 900 grants yeah yeah to. what happened was when we started doing most of these things we just didn't know like when i wrote a poem i didn't know i i just thought i made it through the day you know yeah I, mean? I made yeah. it through the day i wrote the poem the poem helped me get through this day those words that came out of me that i wrote down you know i didn't know it was gonna be recited at a my you know a major jazz festival after that that well, putting it to music i didn't know it was gonna take on its own journey and when we started Jazz for Peace, the same deal. We, I thought, you know, I had this little, I had a youth hostel and it was called Jazz in the Park. Well, everybody thought, wow, it's somebody called this, you know, that, that means jazz. And it's on Duke Ellington Boulevard. Okay. Oh. But it had nothing to do. It was the guy's name was J-A-Z, I believe. Or J, that was his name. That was oh. His name. <laughs> okay. But I heard, okay. You don't know this, but I happen to know that if you put jazz on your little youth hostel, and you put it on, and you put it on 106th Street, and which is Duke Ellington Boulevard. Even though you probably don't not know that either, right. I can do something with your basement. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> right. Your basement is valuable to me. Yeah. You know what I mean, because of where it is, and because of your name that you put yeah. on the He It was him on the park in his mind. Jazz. My his name was Jazz, but my name was no. It's Jazz on the park for what everyone else is going to think. So I'm doing these things out, and I thought. Oh, I'm Jazz for Peace. I'll do a little six of them. I'll do like, we'll, we'll help six outstanding causes. You know, you know, and we didn't, you know, so I didn't know there was like 60,000 nonprofits just in New York City. You know, I didn't, wow. and I didn't know they were all around the world. And I didn't know that all of the world's problems could be solved simply by addressing and cherry picking the very finest nonprofits that are already committed to solving them in each area. And then reversing from a trickle-down economy to mm -hmm. a trickle-up economy. Right. Where you would take something like Jazz for Peace Cryptocurrency, which we have partnered with Ethereum, and oh. you would give it to those organizations first instead of last so that they wouldn't have to spend 90% of their time running around looking for funds and only a few days left after they finally got the funds to survive to do what, what they said they're going to do all year long. Right. In other words, it's so crazy that these solutions are there. Right. How do you choose now who you're going to partner with, who you're going to help? They can choose us. And what they, oh. yeah, they can choose us. Here's what happened. Again, you know, I don't know if you ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When, when I was little. You yeah. Know, I like to say I was, you know, a poor mountaineer who barely kept his family fed. And then one day, you know, yeah. I was shooting at some food and up through the ground, just come up on the crew. You know, I like to say that because I did some of the stuff I just bumbled into like Jed Clampett, literally, yeah. which is this one, right? We get a letter from some woman. And just we get a letter comes. It could have been an email, but however, the, you know, we communicate. Someone just says, you know, I just wanted to tell, dear Jazz for Peace, I just wanted to tell you that I've been looking, I just, I came across your program and what you're doing is just, I'm so, I'm so moved by your music. And she's describing everything we do. I'm like, who is that woman? I sure wish she had an outstanding cause and we were helping her because it would be so easy because she already knows, you know what I mean? It was, she already knows who we are. Yeah. She knows all about us. It's going to be so easy to work with someone like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're like, okay, thank you so much. Who are you? You know? And she's like, well, I work for an organization that is helping children in rural parts of China who are unable to go to college because of their parents. I said, wow, what are you talking about? And this was like 
you know, in the early 2000s when we started Event for Concert Series. She said, well, and the rural parts of China were really, they were, you know, they were really countryside. And she said, especially the girls, she said, well, they just, it's not part of their culture and they just don't do it. It's just not, and they'll say they don't have the money and they don't have this, and that, you know. So what we try to do is we try to say, listen, you know, we'll get a scholarship for your child to be able to go to school, give it a try. Give her a try to go to school, you know, send your daughter to school, whatever. And I said, that's what you do. I said, wow. I said, well, you know, you saw what we're doing. Maybe we could do something like that for you. I said, where are you located? She says, well, we're all over the country. There's four of them, four cities where this is located in the United States where they're trying to help this problem. So we ended up doing four concerts for this woman who wrote that letter. One in New York, one in New Jersey, one on the West Coast, I believe in California, and mm -hmm. one somewhere else. There were four of them. So... Yeah, so now we already know, you know, up through the ground came this bubbling crew that if they know about us, we can help them so much more if they know about us. You know mm -hmm. I mean? And we started to realize that one of the best ways to get funding probably is to know the funder. You know, know the funder, know, yeah. know, know who they are. You know, yeah. that for them, to, it's more important that you know who they are than it even is for them to know who you are. Because that impressed us so much, what she knew about us impressed us right off the get-go. You know what I mean? Right. Right. We're already very impressed, you know. I mean, if someone doesn't know anything about us, that's kind of unimpressive. Sure. You know? So sure. now we're like already, I don't know who they are, but whoever they are, they sure are kind of lame to not know anything about us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so right. And we were right. like, this person, I don't know who she is, but she's impressive. She knows, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. So anyway, we have an easy A, B, C steps to get off the ground for an outstanding cause. And the very first one is what she did. She sent us a note just stating, you know, what, just a comment. She made a comment. Hers was, you know, maybe a little longer than, than it needs to be. It doesn't have to be very long. But I mean, if an, organ an organization could just look at a little bit of what we do, you know, yeah. we even have a page they can go to if they want to. You can find out about us, you know, so many ways. Watching your podcast will be one way, right? Yeah. So watch your podcast. Someone could look at this podcast. And say, you know, man, I listened to your little song. Other questions they asked were so good. I've learned so much about Jasper Beesman. I said, and I wonder if you could help. You know, maybe you could help us. You know, we I do this, or we help children in so and so, or we help you know the environment, or we're trying to clean up a river somewhere. You know what I mean? Right, right. That's letter A. All you have to do is B and C now. You've already done letter A just by that. So that's what an organization can do. They can complete one-third of, of the three ABC steps. They complete one letter simply by sending an email to info at jasperpeace.org. Okay. After they have reviewed some information. And like I said, the page that we have to, if they want to go to a page, it's simply called jazzrepeats.org forward slash knowthefunder.edf. You could go scroll to the bottom. I think you'll see a little button, you know, and you could just click on it and you could say, you could say, I want to buy Jazz for Peace a few cups of coffee and just boink and just, yep. send, you know, just make a donation. Yeah. You know, that would be all the help. I mean, it would mean so much to us because that's another issue when it comes to this fundraising. So with Jazz for Peace and all of the things that you've done, concerts and all of the wonderful people you've met and everything, all the things that you've accomplished personally and professionally, what do you consider your biggest accomplishment? I don't know if I could judge. Maybe that's for someone world. else. Yeah, for someone else to decide. But I can say my biggest accomplishment in a sense was the wealth that I have received. You know what I mean? The inner mm -hmm. wealth. Because, you yep. know, I've learned that even though they tell you that if you have a whole bunch of money, you're really wealthy, you know, almost anybody is smart enough to know that that's not true. I think there was a famous quote by, I think it was Rob Lowe, an actor who said, or it could have been Robert Downey, one of those guys, he actually said, I wish that everyone could become 
a movie star and make a whole bunch of money so that they could see that that's not what, you know what I mean? That's not what they think it is. That's not going to give them the happiness that they think it is. So I think it's Robert Downey Jr. I think okay. I read that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so there you go. So, you know, I think one thing it has, it's given me, since inner wealth is so much a part of it, and maybe external wealth is only a small piece of the puzzle, I'm finding that the inner wealth, where I've been able to get wealth through my contribution, yes. has made me wealthier than I might have thought I could have been if I had, you know, followed what my dreams, what I was told my dreams were supposed to be, you know, exactly. Three vacation homes, a boat, a yacht, you know, seven dates, whatever it is, you know. Well, this is the part of our episode where we do our fast five questions. Number one is trumpet or saxophone? Amazing. That's an amazing question. I might say sonically trumpet, but musically saxophone. Ah. From a musical content perspective. Because uh -huh. some, some saxophone players, I've been influenced more musically by certain saxophone players. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, sonically, the big sound of a trumpet, of, you know, is, is uh -huh. yeah, it's, it's so, it's an iconic sound. I like that. I do too. Yeah, because they are too. two really different sounds, you know, when you think, right. or they're used in different ways, let's say, typically. Yeah. Lady Day or Satchmo? From a purist singer perspective, I'm going to say Lady Day as a singer, but I'm going to say Satchmo as a total package. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, I can totally see that. Uh -huh. CD or vinyl? Definitely vinyl. I said, of course you'll say vinyl, but let's just put it in there to drum up some good discussion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would be shocked. I mean, I would say that is one of the most lopsided situations, you know, because it's just, it just, it was a crazy idea. New Orleans or New York City? Well, I'm definitely, absolutely for sure, from a current perspective, you know, from all of that, for sure, New York City. New York City is just, you know, it's a capital. It's just, yeah, it's definitely New York City. But, you know, I've had the pleasure to perform in New Orleans and go to New yeah. Orleans. And so, you know, you know, I mean, there's no comparison in terms of its charm. Yeah. Never, yeah. because it won't even, doesn't even come close to compare in terms of its charm and, and some of those sorts of things, its tradition and things like that, you know. Yeah. But New York, in other words, New Orleans ran about this far around the track. You know, New York really took the baton and whooshed. Yeah. New York has had quite a run with the baton. Walking or cycling? I am going to say, even though, you know, a lot of things have come out about the importance of walking. And I think it was like Frederick Nietzsche, who uh -huh. was extremely, and this guy's one of the smartest guys you're ever going to run into, you know, yeah. whatever, <laughs> run into years ago. Yeah. You maybe run into him if you die now, but yeah. um, or if you, you drop know, a couple of those acids, you'll be, you know, you might see the, him right. <laughs> exactly. If you have, right. What I, what I thought I was on the day of nine 11. Yeah. I mean, apparently he, walked himself back to health from a disastrous situation. That's my understanding. Walked like 18 hours a day and walked his way right back into health. But you're, since you're asking me personally. I'm yeah, I was thinking go. New York and you didn't have a car. You're asking me personally. I'm absolutely flat out going with bicycling because bicycling, because every day I get on a bike and until, you know, like right around, the, until right around September 11th this year when they close the outdoor pools, I ride a bike. I'm probably going to do it in a little while. I ride a bike down to the Lower East Side from yeah. this Times Square area, all the way across town, all the way to the Lower East Side, below where I used to live. In fact, really not far from probably where the World Trade Center was, but still above that. But anyway, I ride a bike all the way down there where there's an Olympic-sized pool. So I'll say bicycling. I think that leads us pretty well into <laughs> our final question that we ask everyone. And I feel like you've answered it in so many ways, but you're going <laughs> to have a really another eloquent way of saying it. But what does a life well-lived mean to you? I think one, it means, I think, you know, in a lot of areas, it means 
the sense or the feeling that you tried your best. That's a good one. You know, knowing that you tried your best because it's easier to deal with the results if you know you gave your best because how could you have done anything, you know, if you did your best, what more could you have done? So, you know, a life well lived, I think, is, you know, having that, not having that worry that, oh, you know, I mailed it in all these days or whatever. I didn't, you know. So that's one thing. But I think another thing is to pursue that inner wealth because it's big when it comes to your answer to the question, you know, as opposed to someone else's. Someone else will look at you and perceive that. But if you don't feel it, it's a bittersweet. If they think you're successful, it's better that they think you're a jerk and you know you're not. Ultimately. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I hate to say that because it's a bummer to have someone think you're a jerk or a loser because you don't have a lot of material possessions or whatever it is that they're thinking. Uh-huh. But I'll take it any day of the week rather than me not have the achievement and they think I do. Well, gosh, this has been absolutely lovely. We're going to put all the things that you said in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for your time and for being here. This has been so wonderful. What a treat to be, you played for us and it was just wonderful. That's our, our first musical interlude, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've given us, uh, I feel like I have a wealth of information in my head to sort through. Listen, I love it. Say. It was great. It's so great. So yeah. we really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Wow. That was amazing. Amazing. And somebody, we haven't had anybody quite like, well, I've had maybe one other musician, but nobody quite like that because he does a lot of special things outside of just performing music too. Yeah. And so, how knowledgeable about a little bit of everything, but how knowledgeable he is just about, of course, jazz has so many great stories from his travels with jazz and he is a minimalist. He is a minimalist, but that performance was not minimal in the, in the middle of our <laughs> podcast. Nice segue. Yeah. No, it was not. It was not a he, minimalist performance. He went above and beyond. No, mm-hmm. he did a few little different things within that little piece, and it was just it was just so cool. We haven't had anything like that yet. No, I wish that we had you know some kind of a better audio setup because I'm sure that our recording does not do it justice, but. We encourage you to go and follow anything of Rick Delarada. You know, you can find it, all the links in the show notes, but what a guy. And like he said, if you know of an organization that just needs some more PR, needs some recognition to get some funds coming into that nonprofit, hey, you know, click that link down in the show notes as well. Indeed. If this episode resonated with you, or if you know of someone who would benefit from the knowledge that Rick was dropping, We would love it if you would share it. We sure would. Sharing is caring, friends. Indeed. As always, you can find us at arneradventures.com, on Instagram, at arneradventures, also linked in the show notes. So until next time, enjoy the journey that you're on. We're wishing you lots of adventures. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 